Thanksgiving. It's so good to see you all out this morning. It's been a while since I've been able to bring a lesson to you all on a Sunday morning, and I am overly joyful to do so. However, that joy is a little tempered because I am without my better half today. She is at home in Alabama, but I will make do. If you have a Bible handy, would you please turn with me to Matthew chapter 19? Matthew chapter 19. I want to take some time to go ahead and welcome all our visitors here this morning. Uh, We really appreciate you taking the time and effort to come out and visit with us and worship with us, and we hope that you'll stick with us and and allow us to get to know you a little bit after services. Uh, Matthew 19, and this is going to be somewhat of a long reading, so I'm going to warn you first, Uh, but we'll begin in verse 23, please. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give to you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their their wages. wages." And when those who, were, those who hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving that, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, The last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first shall be last. Have you ever worked really hard for something? And at the end of that thing that you've done, whatever, whether, whether it's a job or a project, you expect some kind of big reward, and you, you go and give that project up, and you're not rewarded based on what you expected or what you assumed, that it doesn't exactly meet the work that you've put in, That's what this story here is talking about. These moments of disappointment because our assumptions aren't met, because we haven't been given what we want. In this story where we read of vineyard workers who work all day and are disgruntled because of the pay that they receive, that they agreed upon at the beginning of the day, didn't become better for how long they worked. And in Matthew 19, we see this beginning of this issue begin with Peter. You see, chapter 20, this this parable is a response to Peter. And Peter, in verse 27, he asks Christ what appears to be a very simple question. We've left everything and followed you, Lord. What are we going to receive? 
He expects something, like they've done something more. And they have, they're the apostles. But here we can see Peter kind of pose this question as if, well, I've done a lot. Shouldn't my reward be greater than someone else? And Peter is focused on this reward. And I think we often have the same question for Christ in our life. What am I going to get out of being a Christian for so long? What reward will I receive for my spiritual labor? And it's a mindset that comes from pride. Pride that Peter shows in chapter 19. We understand that there's a reward for us who live faithful lives. That there's a reward for those of us who who walk the way God expects us to walk. But when we live a long life, when we've gone through various hardships or trials, we look at them and think, well, I did a lot of work in that trial. I did a lot of work in my spiritual life. Shouldn't I receive more from God than someone who has done maybe less than me? That's this idea here in this parable. And the idea I want to get out for this sermon. We know we're going to be rewarded for faith. But sometimes our reward tends to come to our assumptions. Our assumptions that the reward is going to be something earthly or physical or material. The technology I want, the recognition I need, the desires of my life being fulfilled. In today's world, this is that idea of working for a commission, that what I put in should be equal to what I get, that there's something that is the same there. And when we're like Peter, we expect a commission for our faith. That's the problem here, that there's a materialism at the heart of this issue. That's what I want to talk about today, materialism at heart. Because Jesus' parable in Matthew 20, like I said, is a direct response to this issue. And this parable, again, and if you'll look with me again, we can see that there's a simple idea in this parable. A master who needs workers for his vineyard goes to the marketplace. And at this day and age, that's where workers would go if they needed a job for the day. They'd wait there and wait for masters to come and, and offer a wage and offer a job for them to come fulfill it for them. And they would go and work. And the workday of this time would normally last from about sunup to sundown. Any time that there was a possibility of being able to go outside and get the work done, that's when it was to be fulfilled. And so this master goes out and he gathers workers for his vineyard. And he starts at the first hour of the workday at sunup. And he agrees upon a day's wage with these workers, a denarius for their entire day. And they agree and they go and do the work. But then the master goes out again in the third hour, in the sixth hour. In the ninth hour. And finally, he goes out again in the eleventh hour with only one hour left in the workday. And each time he hires more workers. And you can imagine what these first workers were thinking. Well, they're being hired later, so they're going to get less than us. We're going to get more because clearly we've done more work and we deserve more. And so at the end of the day, when the master calls his foreman and tells him to give his workers how much they earned, he tells them to do it in an interesting way in a way that I think is crucial to understanding this parable. He tells him to pay the last people first and the first last. And so the last people get up there and they get their pay, which is a denarius a day. And as we can see in this passage, and as I imagine in my mind, those first workers are peering over the shoulders, kind of looking for that pay. Well, what are they getting? Clearly it can't be as much as me. If they're getting just a denarius, then we're going to get more. And you can imagine their assumptions building, their expectations building, until it gets to their turn to be paid. And the foreman hands them a denarius. And we can see how they react. They grumble at the master. Well, 
this isn't right. We deserve more. And the master responds in a way that is cutting to the problem. The master responds in verse 15, Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? The master has complete control over the pay or over the reward for the work. The workers are just there to do the work. And he has to remind them of that, that they agreed with something at the very beginning of their work. And it didn't change just because some others came along. And this parable is really here for our understanding because we can be just like those early workers. We can attempt to control what God does with his blessings towards us, with his reward toward us, that reward of eternity with him. And Peter was doing this very thing in chapter 19, and I hope you all can see that, that he provoked this parable, that Jesus, there is something more for us clearly because we've done more with you. And Jesus responds to him with some clarity. Yes, the apostles will be rewarded with a great position, but everyone who comes to Christ will be rewarded. There's no difference. And he gives us that little saying at the end of 19, at the end of this parable, that the last will be first, and the first will be last. He's warning Peter of his assumptions, that he shouldn't get ahead of himself, because he may be one of those that who is first to respond, that is last to be rewarded. And this issue that we see Jesus address here still affects us today. In our society, it's all about me first. What can I do about me or about the reward that I deserve? And sometimes we apply that mindset to our eternal reward. And when we do this, issues rise up. You see, when we have materialism at heart, we become disappointed. And I should have fixed that. But our first point is we become disappointed. Think of the hard work that you do. You've been put on a project by your boss or by your teacher. This project is so important to your company or to your class that you spend so many hours of your day working on it, day and night slaving over this project until at the end you are so proud of it and happy with it because it is perfect in everything that you could have imagined. And you give it to your boss or your teacher and they just say thanks. There's no reward. There's nothing else that comes from it because you just did what was expected of you. It wasn't like you were going to get a big bonus or a big promotion or an extra credit grade because of this project, but it was just another thing to do. And when that happens, when we don't get that reward that we think we deserve, we become disappointed. We feel like we've been had out with. Much like the day workers were let down, the reward for our hard work is just a, a, a day's pay and a pat on our back by our supervisor. There's nothing special there. There's no recognition for the amount of work that I've done. And when we have this problem or viewpoint towards our eternity, then we start to expect recognition or blessings for all of our hard spiritual work. When we overcome a trial, maybe someone's constantly mocking us or pushing us against our faith, a stumbling block put in our walks. When we overcome it, we start to expect, well, God's going to bless me here on this earth for it. He's going to give me great things because I have proved to him I'm his good servant. That mindset sets us up for disappointment. If we aren't rewarded for our strengths and for our achievements, then we become disappointed in our faith. It's not what we expect. It's not what we deserve. And when we have this mindset, then we're going to begin to grumble at every single thing that comes our way. 
Why do I have to deal with this trial? Why do I have to prove my faith to this? Why is there a reward for me if I'm just doing what everyone else is doing? And when this problem rears its head, we have to nip it where it starts. The idea of our assumptions becoming our reward for our spiritual labor is never promised. Never do we read in the Bible that God will reward us with all that we could ever want or have on this earth for what we do. And we have to remember that. And if we remember that, then we can get at fixing this issue. We have to examine ourselves. Why am I being so materialistic with my assumptions? Why do I assume things will be in my life because of what I've done? When we're materialistic with our assumptions, it often comes from being selfish. What's going to help me be happy? What's going to please me? What's going to make my life easier? When we focus on dealing with selfishness and with the idea of me first, then we can take away some of these materialistic problems that pop up. And maybe our assumptions aren't being met because we simply have the wrong idea of our reward. That we think our reward is something that it is not. And when we think this, then all we have to do is look through the Bible to see what the reward actually is for our lives. And as Christians, we should never let our assumptions of a reward create a materialistic view of eternity. Secondly, we can understand that when we have materialism at heart, we become condescending towards others. Like the parable, we see the workers from the beginning of the day look down upon those who only worked one hour out of that day. They didn't deserve what they got. They weren't working in the brunt of the day, bearing the sun in the middle of the day. Think again to those group projects or school projects. When you're in a group and you're doing lots of work and someone is just sitting there riding on the coattails of your group. And at the end of the day, when that group gets, that project gets turned in, they get that same A or B that you got, even though they did nothing compared to you. We begin to condescend people like that. We begin to bash them for what they've done. They're not as good as the rest of us when it comes to this. They don't put in as much work or as much effort. They don't deserve what they've been given. In our spiritual lives, this can be a problem for many of us, for those of us who have gone through a lot of issues, through different trials and sufferings. We deal with sickness or temptation or just different things that pop up in our life that we have to deal with. And we look at what we've done, we begin to compare that to someone else. You know, I've faced a lot more trials than brother so-and-so. I've overcome a lot more sick issues than sister so-and-so. We look back at our lives and we see that we, maybe we've dealt with different addictions or anger or greed. And we can't see that in someone else. And so we begin to think, I've done more. I'm a better Christian. My faith has shown more in my life. And so maybe in Bible class, we begin to question other people's answers. They don't know what they're talking about. They haven't been through what I've been through. And you start to disagree just because you disagree with who they are. And when we do this, we become like those laborers, those men who looked over the shoulder of the other's workers and were condescending to those who only worked one hour. There's a resentment that forms. And this resentment that forms comes from jealousy because they're getting what they don't deserve in your eyes, in our eyes. And when we start to think like this, then we slowly start to tear ourselves away from our brethren. No longer are we unified in our faith but we just 
don't want to associate with someone who hasn't done as much as I have. We're jealous and we begin to take away and pick apart at everything they do and compare it to ourselves. And because of this, we don't take time to get to know other brethren. Or, or other brethren. We don't take time to learn how to be an encouragement to them or build them up. Instead, we decide it's better for us to hide away from them and not go out of our way to bear their burdens because we've already dealt with issues. And this requires us, and if we're going to fix it, to look at ourselves and our own emotions. Why am I getting jealous or resentful of someone else? Am I jealous because they haven't had to deal with things that I have? That they haven't had to put up with temptations that I have? And again, this is stuff that we just can't see in other people, but there's a jealousy that may come from that. Am I resentful that they seemingly have had an easy road to salvation? If we're able to pinpoint this resentment or this jealousy in our lives, then we can cut it out. We can get rid of it. And that's not easy. I can't say, well, it's as easy as taking a box and putting it in another room. But at least we can identify the issue and work on it. We can remind ourselves that God is just as rewarding to me for all that I've done as He is to everyone else and all that they have done. We have to remember that we are all in need of God's grace. That, that, that eternal reward that He gives us, that grace that He gives us, is there because I can't do it on my own. It's there because I am sinful and lost without His grace. And He is there to reward me for turning to Him and living a faithful life. Fixing the resentment in our lives revolves around changing our hearts. No longer keeping grudges or holding people's experience them, experiences against them requires to look at ourselves and say, well, maybe they haven't had to deal with the temptations I have, but I'm sure they've had to deal with temptations of their own. I'm sure they've had to deal with trials of their own. And man, I am sure happy that they have turned to God. That's what it requires. Thirdly, what we can see from this parable is that when we have materialism at heart, we become short-sighted in terms of our reward. Look at how these workers act at the end of their day. We'll start in verse 11. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? These workers were so focused on what they didn't get that they completely overlooked what they did receive. They were so focused on a greater reward that should have been given to them that they don't care about the reward that the master did pay them. We can do this in our own spiritual lives as well. When I am so focused on the issues or trials that I have had to face, when I am more focused on things that I've had to deal with personally, then I begin to have this attitude more on myself. I am so focused on myself and what I've gone through that I'm not focused enough on the reward that is continually promised to all who walk in the faith. We have this mindset, and I, I call it that, that mindset of looking at someone else's plate, because it's that idea 
of being at a restaurant, you order your food, and you're so excited to get your food, and you get your food, but you look over at someone else's table, and man, their burger looks so much better than yours, and you're so jealous of what they have that that burger on your plate, well, that's just not enough. You need that burger. When we have that type of mindset with our eternity, we begin to have this materialistic view of eternity. We focus more on the different things that we may receive in this world rather than focusing on the eternal reward of heaven. And we do this when I am so focused on the things of this world, like I've mentioned. We focus more on the fancy cars, the nice houses, the brand new TVs, and we think, surely this is part of my reward for being a good Christian. And surely I deserve more on this earth. And that begins to cloud ourselves and help us become short-sighted in terms of eternity. There's an issue because it takes our focus away from eternity with God. It takes what we've been promised and tries to morph it into what we can get on this world. And we have to be willing to fix this. And if we don't want to be the laborers in this story, then we have to remember exactly what our promise is. In Matthew 19, at the end of, at the end of when Jesus is talking to Peter, he tells us what our reward is. The reward is eternal life. It's there. And it's not just there for those who have been Christians for two years or those who have been Christians for 50 years, but it's there for all who come to Jesus. It's for all who show that faith. And when we can realize this and focus on this, then we're not going to feel disappointed because our earthly view of a reward isn't exactly what it seems. This world is not our reward. The things of this world is not our reward. Our re- reward is eternal life. And that's what we, sh- we should be focusing on. Peter starts this parable off when he asks what the apostles are going to receive in heaven. Once Jesus tells the parable, it's clear to see that the response Jesus has to this idea, that we aren't going to receive more just because of what we do. The reward is always the same. It's eternal life for everyone who comes to Christ. And we begin, when we begin to look at a reward for faith materialistically, well, then we're going to face these issues. We're going to become disappointed. We're going to become condescending. We're going to become short-sighted. And when we have that issue, then we need to refocus our lives around what God has truly promised us. Jesus tells us that the last will be first and the first will be last. Whenever we put our trust and faith in God and His promises, whether it's from an early age, with little or no experience in the difficulties of this world, or an older age, after we've faced hardships and trials, that reward is always going to be there. Eternal life is there for people to receive it, because God is willing to extend His grace to all who come to Him. All we have to do is be willing to accept it, at any stage of our life. I appreciate your attention this morning. We'll be dismissed for our classes at this time.